One of the best things about film festivals is that you sometimes discover a new filmmaker you never would have found out about otherwise. A lot of things have gone away for a while because of COVID-19, but film festivals haven't. They've just gone online. And the online Fantasia Fest, out of Montreal, is where I discovered the wonderfully bizarre film Climate of the Hunter by filmmaker Mickey Reese. It's about two middle-aged sisters, played by Ginger Gilmartin and Mary Buss, staying in a vacation home where they vie for the attention of a man named Wesley, played by Ben Hall, who may be a vampire. I know you may not recognize any of these names, but all of these actors are excellent, especially Ben Hall as the possible vampire who is transfixing. Climate of the Hunter is very funny and occasionally scary and really keeps you guessing. I was eager to learn more about Mickey Reese and to see more of his films, and I learned that he makes them from Oklahoma with no Hollywood input to speak of, often enlisting the same actors over and over again. There's a new documentary about his films called Belle Isle that's coming this month to Fantastic Fest. Here's the description of Belle Isle from fantasticfest.com. Against a collage of excerpts that span 34 films, a filmmaker reflects on the community he has built over more than a decade of low-budget filmmaking in Oklahoma City. I love that description because it completely underplays how unusual and remarkable Mickey Reese's films are. They tend to take a deadpan approach that I really go for. My name is Tim Malloy. You're listening to Movie Maker Interviews, and here's my talk with Mickey Reese. I wonder if I can just start off saying what I know about your career and you kind of correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. So you're in Oklahoma City. You stayed in Oklahoma City the entire the entire run of your filmmaking. You've made two films a year since 2008. A lot of them. Well, I, I used to make three a year. Now it's and then it then it started getting more to like two a year. You know, once we once they started like you know becoming more involved. You know, I mean, you can see the quality, and then when they start getting better, it means like two a year. And now it's been more like one a year. And you've always worked with pretty much the same people, bringing in new actors from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, like you brought in a guy named Alex Sanchez a few years ago, who I think is amazing. You just found a huge talent there. Okay, and so did you see Arrow's Outrageous Fortune? I did. He's the lead, and he's so oh, yeah, 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 he's the lead, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the barometer of whether people will like your movies is actually at the beginning of um, Mickey Reese's Alien, where he plays Joe Esposito, kind of a, one of Elvis's inner circle, who's explaining years later that he did not, in fact, give mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to the king um, because he would not give mouth-to-mouth to another man. That's just not something he would do. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah. if, you think that, if you think that's funny, I think people will think your movies are funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alex was a, uh, a, he's a local comedian, and he was just, like, the funniest local comedian. And I was like, you ever been in front of a camera? Let's try this. So that was actually his first movie. God, so good. So I guess my first question, why did you never make the move to LA or New York? Why, why Oklahoma and how has it worked out? Um, I didn't never, I mean, I had never had a, that was never a choice to move to New York or LA or anything, you know? Um, I have a son um, that is, uh, he's going to be 17 in a few days on the 12th um congratulations so yeah i've had you know i've just had responsibilities i've had to stay here so it's always just been like a hobby until you know a few years ago when i started uh taking it more seriously because you know um well we started kind of 
developing the finances to do so as far as like people wanting to help us out yeah. because you know before it was uh just this one uh one beautiful amazing lady an angel named beth alonzo and she would just come through and kind of fund it because at that time there wasn't much to fund it was just us like having fun yeah so you were a musician in your 20s and then you switched over became a filmmaker roughly in your 30s uh yeah yeah like whenever 2008 was so i mean I, I i made movies in high school growing up and then uh uh you know went and played in a band for you know almost a decade not sure exactly the timeline but yeah in like my later 20s i started uh making movies and uh premiering them at the at local music venues so awesome so how were you making movies for no money at the start like what equipment did you have what did you have to put together to make anything? You return with, wow. And what kind of camera is that? A Canon XL1. <laughs> Do you still use it? Sometimes. Wow. So who was shooting? Me. I'd set the, uh, I just set a tripod up and we'd act in front of it, basically. My God. I knew enough about editing and stuff at the time where I knew like, oh, I, you know, I got to get this coverage and this, you know, and this angle and this angle to make, make a complete scene. Um, I knew enough at that point, but, you know, they're still, I mean, these movies are just garbage. <laughs> but they lead to good so, things. So let, let's talk about them a little bit. How did you put those movies together? How did you get the ideas and how did you develop them and eventually shoot them? Um. I don't know. The, I guess the first one, we would just kind of be in the car. Uh, me and my friend uh, Dallas, um, we were, I remember we were kind of in the car. He he actually like went to tour with me a lot. So he was always, we were always together, like in the car, you know, driving from state to state, like playing music. And I think at some point we just started talking about like, I want to make a movie, like, you know, um, and just started kind of throwing around ideas and then wrote it. And I was just like, let's shoot it. Um, mm. Because it was never supposed to be anything more than that. Just us, you know, kind of having fun. And then think about how funny it'll be to show it at a music venue to have our, all of our friends come and watch it. And I mean, almost, almost no professional actors. No. Yeah. So you're writing out a full script though. I mean, you're putting that together. Uh, kind of like earlier, we wrote them as they went along based on what we had access to. Cause it was never, it was never to write a script and then shoot the movie. It was always, uh, I mean, we never wrote a script and then like, hope we like get to make the movie. It was always like, we're making a movie. Yeah. We're making the movie, the movie's going to get made. So if it means that we can't do this in the script then the script has to change yada yada. So it's uh, because of that, uh, we just kind of made them as we went along and kind of wrote it as we went along. Like, oh, well, here we are today with these three actors. I wasn't quite sure I was going to get all three of these people on this, on, you know, in any, it, any time. Uh, because you've also got to keep momentum going. You know, you can't like, because that's what, how movies like never get made whenever you're doing them for fun with your friends is like, oh, we can't film this weekend or this weekend. Well, that's a whole two weeks that we're not filming. So that's... You know, you got to change up the script and shoot something else because you lose momentum. Uh, everybody's going to get tired and not want to finish it. You know, the movies just feel really confident. Some of the decisions that you make are the kinds of decisions that you see, like, I'm, so, I'm sure you hear David Lynch a lot, but not because your sensibility is at all like David Lynch, but just in the sense of like, you know, he doesn't really give a fuck what people think. 
And with a lot of your movies, it's just like you'll make a decision where you so clearly are just completely committed and confident and love that decision and aren't really worried about whether everybody in the audience is going to get it. Um, where does that come from? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think I, you know, I'd like to say it, you know, comes from, uh, you know, Bunuel or, or Yorgos Lanthimos or like really, you know, cool, like uh, surrealist filmmakers, but um, it, I don't know, it came more natural where I realized like, wait a minute, this doesn't have to like make sense that we do like the whole point in us making movies at this level, especially at that time was that we can do whatever the hell we want. We don't have to uh, stick with a formula or anything like that. So yeah, the idea started becoming more outlandish and then you have to, because I'm always just shooting people talking in rooms and I'm just so used to shooting like conversation pieces like that. Then the only way you can't play, you can't, uh, play with the logic by, uh, you know, just creating some dream sequence while they're talking because I don't have the production design or cinematography for that. So it was always kind of like in the dialogue, like, so we, uh, you know, we make our own logic within the dialogue. So then it just becomes absurd, like, you know, like a, like an exterminating angel or something. Mm. The, some of the monologues are so well written, especially in Climate of the Hunter. Where does that come from? I mean, are you, are you reading constantly? Are you, how do you develop all those different voices? Uh, well, in that one, um, the, I wrote the, I wrote the movie, um, and then John Selvich, my co-writer, uh, added flourishes here and there, but mainly wrote all of Wesley's dialogue. So his, you know, his, uh, traveled, uh, you know, otherworldliness that he has is really more John's voice in that particular movie. It comes through also in Arrows, though. I mean, I think it's, and honestly, in Alien as well, the, the kind of movie about Elvis and Priscilla, um, there's some turns of phrase in that that are incredible. Like, he says she doesn't know a, oh my God, it's, some, it's something that she doesn't know a turtle from a, do you remember? She doesn't know a turtle from a type of bird. I, oh, I, she, doesn't know, she doesn't know a J from a turtle. It's just so good. It's such a weird specific. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly where it comes from. It just, you know, filmmaking to me has always been just intuitive. Like it's just part of the subconscious. So like even writing a film, like if the film doesn't write itself, then obviously we need to move on and figure out a different subject matter. Um, Cause it, it should all just come like smoothly. There shouldn't be anything like hard or uh, that, that you, you get hung up on and thinking or, you weren't, if that's the case, you weren't in it to begin with, you know what I mean? Like it, it, you create these characters and they write the movie themselves. Yeah. Um, and that's why, and I think that's the reason that they're so um, not formulaic in that uh, they're really just like having characters talking. They're all just like hangout movies. I'm not really uh, executing any like plots or, you know, a storyline that's, you know, this takes us here and this takes us here. It's more about just like, let's get these people in a room and get them talking. So how do you, how do you entice your friends into doing this? Um, let's see. I don't know. I'm just hanging out with people that are, uh, that are into the same things as me that are into, uh, they're into it. So it's not really talking them into it. It's like, you know, they're happy to do it. Yeah. Cause it's fun. Cause that's how we hang out. Yeah. Yeah. I read an interview you did where you said that it's kind of like hanging out in a bar except that you have a movie at the end. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point over the last 12 years? Playing in a band, really, it's like playing in a band. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, no one's like, hey, I need you to show up for, hey, you're playing drums in this band, I need you to show up for practice. I mean, they're, they're all in it. They, they want to, you know, practice. They want to play in the band. It's like that. Or you don't have a band. Exactly, or it's not a band. Yeah, I mean, I used to do improv and it was such a big thing to get everybody to show up for improv practice. And then the people who ended up being in the group were the ones who just regularly showed up. It's like, right. that's how you chose who was in the group. Exactly, there you go. So there's, that's how you make your movie. <laughs> What's the point when it started getting more serious for you? Like when it became, oh my God, people really like these movies and they're getting attention. Um, let's see. Well, we had always, we had our own, um, we had our own little special deal with this uh, art place called Oklahoma Contemporary. It's this, uh, you know, kind of art museum. And uh, that's where we would show our movies. So we would show three a year, you know, then, you know, later on got into two a year. Um, and then, yeah. And then we did a Kickstarter for uh, Mickey Reese's Alien. Um, and so, you know, more people got involved, but also a lot of people, we didn't raise much money. And so I was kind of mad about that. And I was just like, oh, you, you guys decided not to uh, throw in on this movie? Well, we're just going to take it as far as we can go then. And so then we premiered at Dead Center, which is our local uh, festival, which it's, 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 a, it's a big festival. Um, and, uh, and we won and then started doing a bunch of festivals around, uh, around the region and, well, around the U.S. in general. Yeah. And... Um, didn't really get into any giant ones. I guess Nashville was probably the biggest one. Um, and then at that point, I had already secured funding for Strike Dear Mistress and Cure His Heart. And that's whenever uh, Peter Kaplowski from Toronto uh, reached out to me um, and said, hey, I'm a programmer for TIFF and uh, I, wanna, I wanna help you out you know, with your movies. And, and, I, and, you want, and I wanna see them all. So he was kind of the first one to like discover me. Um, just by me sending him all the movies and so he'd seen everything so then he got striped into uh, Fantastic Fest and that's when I met with Divide and Conquer so everything's just kind of become more like higher profile from there where where yeah it's just I have no choice but to take it seriously now like look look what I got myself into kind of deal. How do you go about fundraising? I mean do you show people your previous movies? Do you pitch them ideas? Um, how, do you, how do you decide who to who to sort of go to for fundraising? Um, so let's see. Climate was a was a group effort with uh, me and the Divide and Conquer boys, and uh, like so that was like a bunch of financiers. And then we did Agnes. That's the last movie we shot, which is in January, and that's uh, fully funded. Um, that's uh, Quagmire is a new production company, and they funded that, and so. So I don't know where I'll, you know, figure it out from there um, as far as funding. But yeah, I, I generally go to um, people that, you know, I hear that I hear like, basically they'll reach out to me at this point. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I don't know. I haven't, I haven't done it in a while. Yeah. You know, we did, because uh, we had um, Agnes funded and then shot that in January. So I just haven't really... Uh, got to anything yet because of COVID and everything. So, um, I don't know, you know, it, cha it changes movie to movie as yeah. far as finding series go. Do you think your voice has kind of stayed pure and your movies have been better because you haven't done the Hollywood, New York type thing? I mean, 
Yeah. You know, I wouldn't ever uh, recommend my route to anyone. I've just done it this way just because I've always been having fun. Uh, You know, but I, you know, I've been making movies since I was a, since I was in high school and, you know, just started making, you know, features in 2008 and just like worked my way up from there. But a lot of people wouldn't have the patience to wait that long to get, you know, good or to start getting um, higher profile work. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I have. <laughs> I, I guess I love it. I guess I need it. You know, yeah. I'm not sure why I've stuck with it so long. But I, I know that there's an easier way. I know, like, probably going to college and then making your first movie for a quarter of a million or even a million, whatever people do these days, like, um, that's probably a better way to go. How much of it has been fun and how much of it has been work and has it kind of been the same? Um, it's never work. Wow. It's never work. Even, even editing. Actually, wow. editing is probably my favorite part of it. How come? Uh, I don't know. I just like to see it all come together. And then uh, and it's, it's, it's also like I'm working with myself. So I'm like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll think to myself like, oh, man, I hope I got another take. And then I'll hear myself on the headphones like, let's do one more. And like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but, you know, I, don't keep, I just don't keep track of it while we're doing it. It's all just, you know, flowing. It's all, uh, you know, a sub, my subconscious just, you know, making choices. And then I get to see those choices when I'm in the editing room with, in a more... Um, with a more sensible mind. So when you're shooting, you're thinking about yourself as an editor and when you're editing, you're thinking of yourself as a director or an actor. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I catch myself doing that just with editing a podcast where it's like, why did you laugh at that so loud and, you know, overload the mic and now you have to, you cut off the cool thing that they said. It's yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Oh, who are the filmmakers who inspire you? Oh God, I don't know anyone. Uh, the first, uh, um, the first money I got for a movie was uh, this movie called Airmen in 2010. And uh, I had already obviously been just a huge movie fan at that point anyway, but I remember um, her giving us $5,000 and that was just like, I, my mind was blown. We finally made it guys. We got $5,000 to make a movie. <laughs> and, uh, and I was, you know, trying to figure out all we did, but then people would offer other stuff and then end up being like, well, now we have this money and not really sure what to do with. And I probably spent, you know, two or 300 bucks just like going on Amazon and buying all the used DVDs I could and just watched everything that there ever was in the seventies. So I think, uh, anything from the seventies is like very, uh, especially like, you know, the classic Oscar movies. Yeah. Um, you know, I would, I just go by every, I'll, I'll just dive into a director. I'll dive into an actor and I'll just watch, you know, the entire catalog. Um, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that there's any, it's everything, you know, I love Scorsese. I love Hal Ashby. I love Alexander Payne. Yeah. I love Bunuel. I love Bergman. Everything there is, you know, I, I want to make all the movies. <laughs> With Climate of the Hunter, one of the comments I've seen on it, and I've, I've seen this come up a few times, is that it has sort of a, an old soap opera aesthetic, which is such a, such a weird aesthetic. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen a 1970s soap opera, um, but I also That's sort of- Because of the, the soft focus. I, yeah, and I also, I did recognize it from somewhere, although I couldn't name a single other movie that it looks like, which I love. It felt very familiar. It's like when you hear a song and you're like, oh, I've heard the song a million times. 
And then you find out that song just came out and it's the best feeling. And it's just instantly your favorite song. Yeah, well, um, uh, Daughters of Darkness was a really big influence on it. Um, and uh, a lot of critics have pointed that out, um, which felt good to me. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, for a long time, you know, we did that. We did, we premiered in September at Fantastic Fest and then just kind of got more of a, uh, more awareness for it at the end of the festival run with Fantasia. And so all the Fantasia people have been mentioning Daughters of Darkness and I'm just like, oh, thank God someone like caught on to that. Um, <laughs> Cause it's just such a good movie. And that was just, I just like loved like paying homage to it. So it's kind of just like anything that would work in the Daughters of Darkness world or with that film language is gonna work in ours. Wow. Um, but you know, you end up, you take, you know, you, you can rip off movies all day long. It's never gonna be anywhere close to the same you know it's obviously it's just more of like a big influence but ours is you know totally different storage set in cabins so i mean the uh the uh, the obviousness of the influences are not they're, they're not obvious yeah i mean it assumes that people have seen daughters of darkness which i haven't i had i didn't know until you told me oh okay there you go so uh there's a dress that she uh wears in the movie um and it's the uh, and it's a very very sparkly. It's amazing looking. It's just the coolest looking shot. And uh, so that's why uh, Genevieve uh, Wesley's wife that he brings in has that really sparkly dress. That's like a total homage to Dart of the Darkness. Um, other than that, I mean, you wouldn't really notice notice much. But I mean, there's also other stuff like just uh, dark shadows and yeah. any any vampire any vampire trope that kind of happens in there. Um, you know, the talking dog. I remember, uh, I remember just being so like finding it so profound. Whenever uh, Lars von Trier and Antichrist has that fox talk, yeah, it's like, oh, let's well, <laughs> dog talk, you know. So I mean, it's just the influences are just from everything, from every movie, you know, just depending on whatever movie I'm making. I'm, you know, I've got like an encyclopedia about with films. So I'm just, you know, whenever I'm making a movie, it's just like any any problem there is, I'm just like, oh. You know, like the insider, Michael Mann, that's how we're going to shoot this. <laughs> and luckily my uh, cinematographer, Sam Calvin, just knows my language too. Like anytime I mention him, he's like, yep, I got it. So, I remember being in a band and somebody said, you know, the way the bands get good is they all listen to the same music. So we should all try to listen to the same music. Like we'd be better because then we could just say, oh, do it like Pink Floyd, do it like this, do it like Tool. And, but it's kind of better if you already have that going in, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and don't have to, you know, force it. Did you see uh, Spike Lee's Summer of Sam? Oh, that's one of my favorite movies. Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah, the talking dog thing, it reminded me of his talking dog. Oh, yeah, dog. fuck. There is a talking dog in that. Dude, yeah. Serious talking dog. What's yeah, what's he say? He goes, the dog goes in, it's uh, David Berkowitz, and he's chilling, and he's just like, I what does he like, kill for me or something like that? I want you to go out tonight. I want you to yeah. kill for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah, I love that movie. I love Summer of Sam. I'm glad you brought that up. I totally uh, forgot. Well, so yeah, it, that, it came from that too, but I just forgot about that. But yeah, man. you know, a lot of the stuff is just so fucking seeped in there, like all, all you know, all the movies. So they're just, you're just going to find all kinds of different movies in every movie I make. Well, it's so natural and elegant because it, you don't see any, you know, clumsy homages or something. And like, I have like a list of things that movies that, especially indie movies shouldn't do. And one is like long, long pauses um, of outdoors to like show off your locations. 
and another is, I mean, that's, that's probably the most obvious one. A lot of people sort of take up time and you never do any of the things. I'm always surprised. I'm always watching your movies. You're always like several steps ahead of me. And it's just, they're just fun to watch. I don't know how else to put it. I also, I really appreciated that you said in the documentary that you have coming out that maybe you can, maybe you can talk about um, that you've never made a comedy. And yet, well, I to actually, that's kind of more of an inside joke with me and the interviewer uh, in the documentary is that he he's a he's a comedian so more of traditional comedy and he just thinks that i've actually never made a comedy because they're not traditional comedies and so it's more of a joke of him just like but no comedies and I'm like yeah no comedies but to me they're all comedies they're incredibly funny but i mean you can watch them as straight ahead movies without taking it as comedy i mean you could take it as like surrealist or something but the the deadpanness no, of the the, the, the deadpan is something makes them really, really, really funny. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that because, yes, I'm making comedies, but a lot of people don't see them as comedies. Well, I don't, if you said this movie's a comedy, I don't think it would be as funny. It's like if you say it's a horror movie. Agreed, agreed. It's more, yeah, my goal is for, you know, people to watch my movies and then you know, be expecting, like, where is he going to throw in the jokes here? Like, you know, even if it, especially if, even if it starts very serious and you're like, all right, we're... I'm looking for this joke. I know it's going to hit me at some point. Um, so we're kind of work where the jokes are harder to find. Um, but it's, yeah. So, I mean, we're, but we have a blast on set. We're always cracking up on set. You know, what stuff we find funny doesn't never necessarily translate. And so it's really nice whenever someone talks about the humor in, in the movies because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, oh, cool. You, you get that joke. Nice. Do you have any advice for people who want to make a movie and just kind of don't know where to start? Gee, I don't know where to start either. Um, <laughs> I mean, just having gone from where you were 12 years ago to where you are now, where you're playing festivals, where you're getting all this attention, and you really did just start with the camera you just showed me, I mean, and putting your friends together. Like, it, it does just reinforce for me that the person listening to this right now can do that. Um. Well, yeah, totally. But I mean, they have to, there's no advice you can give for, to, to somebody you just, it's just like being, being anything, being an actor and anything. You just have to want it so bad that you'll do whatever it takes to get there, to make it, you know? And so I guess my goal was just to make, to keep making the movies. Um, so what was I going to, what was there to stop me? You know, my friends were all cool with doing it. Cause that was like our hobby. And I was cool with, you know, doing the work and editing it all and so it was just you know we just kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going um, <laughs> because it was always it was always fun and we were always having a good time so you know I, I think someone trying to figure out where to start like then they're that's not fun yeah it's not fun trying to figure out where to start it's fun making the movie so you know I think you know yeah, I mean, the best bet would just be just start making the movie, you know, figure it out, whatever you, whatever you got to do. It doesn't have to be that you write a script and then go shoot it or raise money or anything like that. You can, you know, just film. My friend could come over right now and we could just shoot a scene here in, here in the room and just, you know, figure out what to say from there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's always just been like a fun thing to me, just more of like a, an art form, more of, more of just expression. Um, so I don't know. I guess that's what's kept me in it for so long. Did you face any rejection along the way? And how did you deal with it? What do you mean rejection? 
it's kind of a funny thing because people who are constantly knocking on Hollywood's door have to deal with notes and have to deal with, um, you know, I lost this script contest or this agent doesn't want me or whatever, but because you've done it entirely on your own, it's kind of like who would have rejected you along the way. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, that's, that's why it was confusing. I, um, you know, we, we weren't entering festivals or anything. Yeah. yeah. We were just showing them at our, at the local music venue. And then whenever we grew out of that, whenever a lot of people started coming to that, then we went to Oklahoma Contemporary, which was this, uh, you know, this, this art, art museum place. Um, and then, uh, and then after that I started moving into, you know, fe festivals. So bigger theaters. Um, yeah. So, well, the rejection is more now than it was back then. And the rejection now is like the bigger festival. I mean, you got into TIFF. Festivals, is festivals, funding. I mean, that's now the now the rejection happens. But before there was there was never any rejection, so nothing to kind of discourage me. But you're not discouraged now, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, I feel like the the bad part about where I'm at now is that I can't just go make a movie willy nilly. You know, I can't take, you know, I can't get five grand and go, you know, make some movie with everybody because it's like, what's it going to do? What's the point? You know what I mean? Because mm. um, it's not going to be, uh, it wouldn't be a follow up to what I'm doing next. It would just have to be some movie that we just kind of like make for the hell of it, um, which is fine. But my energy could be spent, you know, getting uh, resources together to make a follow up to whatever my last movie was. Does that make sense? there's like a pressure to top yourself in a way or to keep. Yeah. And, and there, that was always there, but now that, uh, now that the movies have gotten so much better technically because there's been more money in them than yeah. In order to keep rising, to keep, you know, moving up the ladder. And I don't even, I, mean, I just mean moving up the ladder creatively. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then it's, it's harder now because I've got to top. I really <laughs> have, you know, I got to, I got to top the money. Ugh, the money sucks. Yeah. How much does money mess up movies, do you think? How much does it mess up movies? Well, yeah. I don't, I don't, it depends. It depends on who's in control of the money. You know, I don't think money messes up movies at all. Yeah, I, I guess what people I'm thinking of. Who, people who give the money. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> having the money doesn't mess up movies at all. Um, you know, just makes them, makes it better. Get more resources, you get more, more lights. You know, more people standing around on set doing nothing, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's fun. <laughs> Camaraderie. Um, what are you doing through COVID-19? I mean, you're just writing up a storm all that. Uh, uh, I wrote a script. Um, I wrote, I co-wrote another script, but with, um, with another, with a new partner, and uh, she just killed it. It was doing so much better than I was. So she kind of took over that script. But we're still trying to get that. We're still trying to get that one made. And that's what we were trying to get made um, after Agnes. But then COVID happened. And now it's like, hmm, maybe. And so I kind of wrote a smaller script. Like this one was going to be a, a bigger movie. So I kind of wrote a smaller uh, script that I'm working on getting funding for right now. And hopefully, hopefully that happens. Um, when I say smaller, I'm going to try to, I'm going to shoot in black and white. So, you, you know, one, you get more, uh, it's, it's like a, it's a trade-off, you know, you're, I'm not gonna be able to get as much money for a black and white movie, but it's gonna look so much better. So I don't need as much money. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, totally. Uh, the same interview I read where you talked about, I wish I could give them credit. I just don't remember where I read it. Um, starting off in music, then going into film. I think you said that you might do something else in your forties. Um, you're not actually going to do that, right? You're going to stick with film. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> no. it, I didn't uh, predict that I would ever be done with music. Yeah. You know, just at some point I, I got, my head got turned from for film, I got more interested in making movies. Yeah. Um, so that very well could happen with some other art. We'll see. Um, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be good with just sitting, living a normal life and not creating. Uh, but whether it's movies or music or, or anything. Do you have that situation where if you go a few days of not, not making anything, you just feel like sort of depressed, unproductive, like you're having a nice day and you're like, it's so nice to just have a break and walk around this lake or whatever, but then you start to just feel antsy. Yeah. I can't relax. Yeah. It's a curse. It sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, yeah, it's getting better now that I'm older. I'm, I'm able to relax a little bit more, especially when the, the shoots are getting, you know, more and more involved. So there, so it gets more exhausting. So you kind of want to take a break. So after, and I, you know, haven't been able to do that. God, I, what I wouldn't give now at this point, now that I'm older, I would, I would give anything to kind of make a movie and then kind of chill for a year and decide really what the next movie is going to be. And then, and then go, now I really understand, you know, uh, directors like Scorsese or PT or something that'll take like years off. Yeah. It's funny. I always ask people, have you taken a minute to kind of relax and take stop stock and say, I did something great. This came out the way I wanted it to. I'm happy. But almost everyone I ask that question says, no, they're always ready to do the next thing or have something that they want to change about the finished work or something. I mean, do you, have you ever had a moment in all these movies over all these years of going, that one's great. I'm really satisfied with it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Arsis and T-Rex, I really love those movies. Um, I'm still really impressed with uh, what we did with those movies for like literally zero dollars. Yeah. Um, with just me and a camera and a microphone on top. Like I think that those are, you know, the, I, think, I think those movies are like the best you can do with that setup. Yeah. So, um, it was, oh yeah, so just DSLR camera, with the uh, shit, I had that too. <laughs> this little guy. Another cannon, little, you like the cannons? Yeah, this little guy with a mic on top right here, just like that, that's shot 20 movies. I shot 20 movies like this. You know, just having the camera real close to the, uh, to the subject. And then, and so there's, you know, hardly room for some great cinematography. Like every shot can't be great, but you can hear them. Uh, and so I think, so Atarsis and T-Rex, I'm really, really proud of those movies because of what they are like, you know, this is, it's just, the crew is me and this. And what kind of camera is that for people who are, who are looking for one? That was a Canon 7D. I'm sure they have something, they have way better cameras now for the same price. So I got that one in like 2010 or something. Uh, so just two things to close out. The first is, do you have any advice for people who are operating on a really low budget? Um, anything that, you just found out along the way where you're like, I wish I knew that at the start. When you had no budget before, before now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. Um, every 
one comments now about how just different, you know, uh, my style is. And to me, I'm just like, this is totally normal to me. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think the quantity of films and always making the films helped in developing my own voice because it was a voice I didn't even know I was developing. I was just making movies out of the necessities that we had. So, I mean, any advice would be just like, make the movie, whatever the cost, like don't, or cost as in whatever it takes um, where you don't have money, you know? I mean, you know, take your, write your movie or, 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 or even direct um, with the circumstances that you have. Um, I think a lot of, uh, Filmmakers try to do something that emulates Hollywood, but with no budget. So it's so then people are going to be able to pick flaws into it because, um, or pick pick out flaws because they've seen these movies done for, you know, millions, and now they're watching it done for, you know, a thousand dollars. And so, like, why why emulate the same exact thing whenever you can just show the audience something completely different, and then they won't even think about the budget. Yeah, it makes me kind of crazy when you see people online who criticize like the special effects for looking fake or something, when it's so much more impressive to me to make a good movie for $1,000 than to make an okay movie for $100 million. Oh, 100%. I'd just, I'd much rather see a great low budget movie. I don't know. I just, I don't understand that instinct to make fun of something for not looking expensive. I think it's just the dumbest criticism. So. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, but there's also a way, you know, to do it where it doesn't, uh, where obviously it looks ridiculous. Uh, you know, uh, twi- the new Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks of Return, like some of those special effects and stuff look absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> if an amateur filmmaker was making it, they would be like, you know, just ridiculed. But with, with, the, with the Lynch stuff, it works because I've, I've never seen it before. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm not thinking about how cheap it looks. Um, because I've never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's, you know, that's the advice. Just do something that no one's ever seen before. Because if, if not, why, why are you making a movie at all if you're just trying to emulate something that's already been done? You yeah. know, I say that and then I say every movie I make is just a rip off of, you know, collections <laughs> <laughs> are just rip offs of other movies. Um, but I mean, still, I'm doing it in, in a way where, um, you know, where it's just it, it, originality out of necessity. 